welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see your faces again, even with masses, mass and those sitting at home and watching. We just want to welcome you. And I don't know how you come today. I uh, would imagine with a mixed sense of emotion. Uh, I just prayed uh, last week uh, with someone who is now with the Lord. And that always gives you perspective and reminding us of the realities of every one of us will meet the Lord one day. And in Christ, we can have assurance that that meeting with the Lord will be an embrace. If we say yes to Christ, this side of heaven, it will be a warm welcome home. And so it's so great to be able to uh, spend time uh, with this person and to be able to encourage them with scriptures and and different um, things. And just being aware, all of us, of the different stresses in our life, right? Perhaps you come today and the new year does not seem very hopeful to you. Uh, You're stressed about finances and COVID and the overall feeling and safety of yourself, your family, our nation, our world. You reflect on 2020 and the early days of 2021, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of you find it hard to have hope. No surprise, right? I've been praying that today's word would have something in it that the Spirit might use to impress upon you and help you to grow in Christ. So I want to remind you of the context as we take a look at Colossians 1. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to believers. Paul understood, I believe, the stresses about politics, about finances, about friendships, about his, his own physical health and the concern for the physical well-being of others. He understood the pain of isolation. He was in a Roman prison. <laughs> no internet, friends, right? Nothing. Roman prison. He understands. And yet somehow in the midst of so much difficulty, he was able to stay focused on what he had in Christ and where he was going because of Christ. And I think it's just something to learn just knowing what Paul dealt with for us to know. He gets it. He understands. He has a word for us. So we, do. we learned last week that believers who want to grow, what they do, they keep their focus centered on Jesus. That's what Paul tells us to do. It's what he's going to do today as we look at this next section of Scripture. The city of Colossae that he was writing to, they had a mini revival and a small group of pagans turned to Christ. And Paul hears about their newfound faith in this little church, probably meeting in a home. And he's writing them this letter, these words. We get to peek into what Paul is trying to tell these believers, encouraging them towards growth and warning them against heresies within the church. What Paul is concerned with, he's concerned with untruth that has infiltrated its way into this particular church. Now, I want you to notice Paul's attitude towards emperors, that Christ is still king no matter whom you crown. Amen? He's still king. It could sound trite, but Paul understood what it was like to live under a human king that maybe you would not want. Or live under a human king that people will falsely think will, will bring some type of salvation. Again, this is, no matter who you voted for, we can think a human king will bring us the peace that we need. But no, Paul keeps advocating for Christ. 
Notice that Paul actually, we read all of his letters, he's not even advocating for a Christian emperor, which would made his life a lot easier, by the way. Keeps getting a throne in prison for simply sharing the gospel. Would have been very convenient to have a Christian emperor. He never is advocating for Christian emperors. Why? Because he already knew there was a heavenly emperor who one day would come back to earth to reign over his creation. He already knew this heavenly emperor lived within him and reigned over the church, and that even though it doesn't look like it, there is reason to have hope. And this is what Paul is telling us. So Paul writes a poem, and we read this poem today, and we'll look at it line by line to see what the Spirit might say to us. And he wrote this poem to show the Colossians, the center of Christianity makes all other allegiances void. Because Christianity isn't becoming more religious or becoming anti-religious. Christianity isn't about becoming more political or apolitical. It is about a God who chose to demonstrate his love by coming for the whole world, first to Israel and then to us. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, the one who took the chaos and turned it into a cosmos. And that's what this poem is all about. Take a look at verse 15 with me again. Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God. To remind you, image isn't any lesser form of God. It actually means an exact representation. When you look at Jesus, you see God the Father. Paul's point. And so Paul is saying, I want you to focus on Christ. I want you to sing about Christ. I want you to write poems about Christ. I want you to, to memorize lyrics about Christ. Focus on him, the very image of God the Father, not anything less than any form or function. So Jesus is to not simply be treated as a great teacher or an enlightened guru or a political savior, but as God himself, the creator of all things. Paul gives us a vision of who Jesus is. That's just in the first half of 15. The second half of verse 15, Paul continues. He says, the firstborn of all creation. So then you might ask, well, if Jesus truly is equal to God, is not lesser to God in form or function, why does it say he's the firstborn? Doesn't that mean in some way he's lesser? Doesn't it mean that maybe he was created? Even if he was created by God, wouldn't that make him lesser? He's firstborn. Now, we've got to be careful because our, the Jehovah Witnesses, what they say in their church is that this phrase proves that Jesus was a created being and not God at all. So we've got to be careful. Some people take the same scripture and have it mean something completely different. Okay? That is not what we believe to be true. Jesus, fully God, and yet the mystery, fully human. Second, I want to make the point, even within the Orthodox Christian community, there can be a danger of playing Christ, play, placing Christ in some kind of eternally subordinate role to the Father. And I guess I want to warn against that as well. I don't want you to be confused in thinking that somehow Jesus the Son is lesser to God the Father in some kind of form or function. There's somehow the mystery and beauty of co-equalness and, and mutual glorifying of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which blows my mind, and yet is true. So even a cursory look at Paul's writing reveals that Paul didn't set out to contradict himself, because we look at verse 16, Paul says, For by him who is Christ, all things were created. And so what Paul is saying, when you think of Genesis 1, which was the Bible that uh, the Colossians had. They had the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. 
They didn't have the gospel of John yet. But in Genesis 1, it said, well, God created. And what is Paul saying? Well, no, Jesus created. Therefore, Jesus equals God. When you look at Genesis 1, that is Jesus, the eternal word, the eternal son creating. For by him, all things were created. Jesus is God, the creator. So then Paul obviously must be using the word firstborn in verse 15 to mean something different than being created himself. He's basically trying to make the point that when you look at Jesus, you see God the Father. Jesus even says something like that from his own words. And then he further clarifies in verse 19, For in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So I want you to notice this. Jesus is not subordinate in value or function to the Father. And one commentator even put it this way. That Jesus is the one who possesses as heir or owner all other things. That means Christ is preeminent over everything as God himself. Not a lesser form in any way. God himself. And so Paul keeps putting our eyes back to Jesus. Jesus is the one deserving of all of our attention. And that's why we're giving Jesus our full attention today. He's worthy of all of our attention. In verse 16, Paul continues... In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What that means is there's nothing that we see and can't see that isn't under God's sovereign control. And Jesus is that God. And so I know right now it might feel like God has lost control. Just open up your news feed and read about anything. And it's like God must have lost control if I even believe in God anymore. And Paul is saying, no, 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 focus on this poem. Jesus has always been and always will be God who is sovereign, who is good, the creator. There's nothing that will thwart his goodness and his reign. You see, the church is called to pray for a peaceful transition of power for our nation. We're, we should be praying for our armed forces right now that, that, that need to come to D.C. for fear of threat. We need to be praying for them, praying for our officers, praying for a peaceful attendance, praying that we will be able to uphold as a nation our democratic institution. I hope you'll join me in praying for that, right? Those are good things to be praying for. Of all people, we should be known as followers of Christ, as people of peace. Because don't forget, we worship the king of all creation, and he took the chaos and turned it into a cosmos. And we, as believers, get to give a little glimpse of God taking chaos and turning it into something orderly and good and beautiful and showing his love. We get to represent the God of creation. His name is Jesus Christ. In verse 17, Paul says, And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so again, further evidence that firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus was created after the fact, but that he, Jesus, has authority over all creation. And in fact, after Paul's death, after this letter was written, a disciple named John would write this line in John chapter 1, referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that means Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, the eternal Word, has come in the flesh to show us exactly what God is like. 
that he himself, Jesus, is God before all things, not subordinate in any way, and he is the one holding everything together. I just needed that verse to speak to me this week as I was preparing the sermon. That God has still got this. I know it could look bad, people, but there is a God. His name is Jesus And as we sing about him, as we worship him, as we follow him, he is holding everything together. He himself is God holding everything, including you and me and our world. See, if we want to grow this year, we need to spend time reordering our life around the one whom all things hold together. Philip Yancey writes in his book, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? And I must admit, even as a pastor, sometimes I even wonder... God, does prayer even make a difference? I I was praying for peace this whole last month. My prayers aren't working, or you're not listening. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be thinking those thoughts, right? You know what? I needed that verse to remind me. He holds all things together. And then Philip Yanti says, I live in a web of dependence, the center of which is God, in whom all things hold together. He says it right there. And John Wesley comments on this verse that Jesus is the cement as well as the support of the universe. And I want to let you know, friends, that this is true not only for the whole world, the whole creation, but of you personally. As you yourself call Jesus Lord and Savior, he will be your cement and your support and he will hold all the chaos in your life together until he comes back. Bible teacher Beth Moore said this about Jesus, the one who we are talking about today. Nothing and no one is like Jesus. I'd give it up all just for him. There's nowhere we ever want to be that he could not fully bless with his active presence. Of course, he's promised never to leave or forsake us. We're secure in our salvation, but make no mistake, we can quench the Spirit. Fellow believers, it was never meant to be that our denominations would distinguish us or our politics. One thing makes us different from the rest of the world, and then she capitalizes this, Jesus J-E-S-U-S, the remarkable mark of his presence in our lives, in our affections, in our actions, Jesus. See, Paul's warning to the Colossians is to not decentralize Jesus from his proper place as the one who should captivate our thoughts every day. He is the head. Colossians 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Friends, he is the head. He's the firstborn of all creation, whom you are to grow and to emulate. You're supposed to look like him. And yet the miracle is that he, Jesus, chose to lay his side, his kingly rights for a time by humbling himself. Verse 20, by making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the Bible says the greatest leader is the one who lays down his life to serve others. And so we follow him. 
This king who laid down his life, who chose humility. We put our hope solely in that kind of king, the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who holds the key to every relationship, every financial challenge, every disappointment, every resentment, every chaos that we encounter in this life. He is the creator. He's the reconciler whom you can trust to never leave you, to never forsake you amidst a sea of uncertainty. And man, 2021 is still bringing a sea of uncertainty. And so we redirect our focus on the one certain thing in this life and the next. There's only one who will love you with an everlasting love. Only one. I know you might think you're loved by your spouse. I hate to break it to you. They're imperfect, okay? Hate to break it to every one of us. Our parents will fail us. Our kids will fail us. Our political parties will fail us. Oh, and even our churches will fail us. Our one certain hope, we follow him the one who holds the key to everything. I asked you last week to join me in meditating on Isaiah 40 this past week, and it, I needed to focus on it. As I was looking at bad news after bad news after bad news, I needed to focus on this, and particularly verse 31, which says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And that word was in my heart and mind so much as I spent time with this friend of mine who was getting ready to see the Lord, I shared with him that verse. And I said, maybe we, maybe we should read that at your funeral as we made preparations. And maybe I'll bring a friend to come sing that. that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The amazing thing that he is in the presence of the one when we read that promise. He's in the presence of the king right now, experiencing the blessing. I hope, I, I wish we could hear those who have already gone to the Lord tell us, Tim, you're right. That scripture's true. I wish we could know for sure, but we can in Christ to know it is true. Our one true hope. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Anyone here need some hope today? I'm telling you, hope is a person and it's Jesus Christ and he will not let you go when you surrender your life to him, when he's your Lord, when he's your savior, when he's your only hope, he promises in life and in death, I will not abandon you. See, if it worked, I would tell you to put your hope in a political party if it worked, but it won't, no matter which one you choose. Or put your hope in your bank account, but it won't work. Or put your hope in your good looks. It won't last. It all let you down. There's a lot of good-looking people here at home. Look in the mirror. You're beautiful. It won't last. I'm sorry to break the news to you. There's only one hope that will. Only one. Don't put your hope in any one nation. Really. I love it that we're patriotic, but don't put your hope in... In one nation? No, God is a God of all the nations. One day every knee will bow. Take a look at Revelation 7. Every tongue will confess. All the nations will be gathered. That's what we should celebrate. And Lord, may he use our nation to be a blessing to the nations. Absolutely. Oh. In heaven, there's not going to be like an American section and then like a Chinese section. And by the way, the gospel's spreading so fast in China. The Chinese section would be bigger than the American section. Let that sink in for a second. 
It's just a Jesus section. Isn't that great? And we get to live into that and pray. We get to pray for the believers in China who are being so persecuted right now. Man, it's a Jesus section. That's our trajectory of eternity that we get to live out right now. You see, in Genesis 1, Jesus breathed order and beauty and purpose into our reality. And so Paul establishes reality based on Christ the head. The fullness of God, the creator of all things, is in Jesus. That's who he is. And in this person, Jesus, there's nothing false. And he stands against all chaos, all untruth, Jesus Christ the one who is the head of the church. See, we need Paul's perspective because Paul, again, was writing from prison. He was living under the oppression of a cruel and crazed emperor. Just Google Emperor Nero and just see what kind of fun things he did. He's a nut job. This is Paul's political leader. He was burdened by a regime that opposed the gospel. And yet, in the midst of it, Paul is asking us to remember in Colossians that the peace you're looking for can be found in no other authority but Jesus. He he doesn't spend time even railing against this crazy emperor. He's so focused on Jesus, it's it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. He wants you, at least in these words in Colossians, to remember what you have and where you're going. And so he tells you what Jesus did. Colossians 1.20. This great creator, this head of all things, the, the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, God himself, he says in verse 20, this is what Jesus did, making peace by the blood of his cross. The king of all creation chose to humble himself and give his life so that you might be reconciled to him for eternity. Paul says, let that sink in. See, Paul was arguing against this false syncretism of the gospel and and, and truth that had infiltrated faithful Christians in Colossae. He was writing against a heresy, some kind of mix between truth and untruth. And the Colossians, they were being led astray because they took their eyes off Jesus. They took their eyes off the one who said, in in me, I hold all things together. And they were led astray and they're becoming convinced they needed to add something to Jesus, that Jesus wasn't enough. And then later in the letter to Colossians, Paul Uh, Paul kind of restates these false claims that says, oh, you can't touch this. You must not eat that. If you want to be close to God, you must not do these things. And you have to add on these other things. You know what we hear today? Oh, you must not vote for him. You cannot vote for that. Or you cannot be close to God. We're in danger of some of the same things. And in Colossians 3.17, Paul reminds his believers that he's writing to. He says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let me just pause and say this. Whomever you voted for, God expects you to show his love to a watching world. You are his representatives. We represent Jesus in our words and our actions. And so friends, friends, If we're going to look like Jesus being representatives of him, we need to listen with loving ears, because that's what Jesus would do. We need to see with loving eyes, because that's what Jesus would do. 
Because the Bible says that every one of you, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, is made in the image of God. This is God's creation. And so when I look around, I can't say image. I get to say image of God, image of God, image of God. Oh, not image of God. See, I don't get to do that, right? Image of God, not image of God. No, all image of God. And as I look at you and we look at people with Jesus' eyes, we see God's image and we long for every person to come into a saving relationship with him. And to even be reminded that God made you. Shouldn't you say thank you to him with your life? But we see with loving eyes. And we bind up wounds with loving hands. And we cry with loving tears. And we pray with loving hearts. You see, friends, you represent Jesus. You represent the one who shed his blood to bring you and this world peace. So let me ask you this simple question. How has someone this past week seen this kind of love by watching your life and reading your Facebook posts and getting your emails this past week? They're supposed to see a glimpse of the agape love of Jesus that you follow by watching you and listening to you and experiencing you. And we speak against and pray against anything in us and in our churches that doesn't clearly make that seen and felt and experienced. We're supposed to represent Jesus. Paul keeps bringing him back to Jesus. Paul points him to the blood of Jesus on the cross. So what Paul is saying is this, emulate your one true king. You say you love him, you say you worship him, then look like him. Lay down your life, lay down your opinions. Listen to this, friends, lay down your candidate. Even if he won, and even if he lost, lay him down. Lay down your news feeds. Oh, I need to hear that. I, I need to lay down my news feeds. I need to soak in the truth of God and his word. Lay down your disappointments. Be captivated by Christ. But I wonder sometimes if we're convinced about our security in Christ. You know, this past week, again, I was reflecting on Isaiah 40, and I was praying the Lord's Prayer different days. And also another scripture came to me this past week, very familiar one from Romans 8. And it's just mainly the section from Romans 8, verses 18 through 31. I'm not going to read it in entirety. I'm going to kind of jump around. But I wanted to read this because it ministered to me. And it is a word for our times, I believe. And it's paraphrased by the late Presbyterian pastor, Eugene Peterson. Romans 8. These are selected verses from verses 18 through 31. Why don't you just hear with ears that might might be spirit is this a word for me in our church in our nation and world today this is the apostle paul romans 8 i don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times this created world itself can hardly wait for what is coming next you see everything in creation is being more or less held back now and god reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment. And meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens and all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. And we are also feeling the birth pangs. See, that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. 
We are enlarged in the waiting, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself, God himself, to the worst by sending his own son? Is there anything else he wouldn't do gladly and freely for us? Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Romans 8 in the words of Eugene Peterson. Friends, there's nothing. And I got to look into someone's eyes this last week and say, not even death is going to keep you from Jesus. I need to tell us, those of us who are still on earth, and not even the worst of news in this life can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which means King Jesus our Lord. That's a word I needed to hear this week, a word of hope, keeping our focus on Jesus. Let me ask you with this last question as we wrap up, what are your non-negotiables? Do you remember the story of Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac? Abraham couldn't figure it out. This is God's own promise, this son, And then God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. This was crazy. Abraham was thinking like I would have thought, you can take anything, God, but not my precious boy. Take me, but not my boy. Not the one that you miraculously promised and gave to me. Not the miracle son. Not the the future lineage of, of your own savior. This doesn't make sense. And yet Abraham took steps of faith because this is why God is always asking for that thing in our grip that our hands won't let go of our non-negotiables. Why? Because he wants our hands free to receive something better. See, sometimes God asks us to let go of the very thing he's given us. Do you see that? That could be our, our bodies, our jobs, our relationships, our giftedness. And yes, our political and theological affiliations, we hold on to tightly. He's saying, let it go. Your non-negotiables, what are they? What do you grip onto? See, God owns the very things he has given us. We own nothing. Everything is on loan. God is always after our non-negotiables. What are yours? You might ask yourself, what are my non-negotiables? Is it my career? Is it my reputation, my pride, or maybe even my refusal to let go of destructive habits? That's my non-negotiable. Is my non-negotiable my politics? See, good things even, when they become greater than Jesus, they become idols, they become bad things, broken things. What's the most precious thing in your life? God says, let go of your non-negotiable. Trust me. 
God wants that too. What's the most dreaded thing in your life? Your worst nightmare. God wants that. Hand over that non-negotiable to him as well. It's your non-negotiables that will keep you from growing into the likeness of Christ that you claim to follow. Our non-negotiables often is our attempt to hold on to illusion of control. So let me ask you this way too. What are you not willing to let go of so that God can have a stronger hold? His way is a stronger hold than your heart and your mind. See, because God wants to pour out his love upon you so that his love can pour through you towards other. Our only non-negotiable should be Jesus. Colossians 1.20 reminds us that our Lord's mission was reconciling sinners to a holy God by way of a cross. And so Jesus shows us what this looks like, who we are to emulate. It's humility. It's sacrifice. It's love. Those are non-negotiables. Never traded in for any other substitute. Keep our eyes focused. Keep singing this song that Paul teaches us. The creator, the greatest one of all, Lay down his life. Loving hands, loving eyes, loving ears, loving heart. Will you be his representative in a world full of chaos? I pray so. Let's pray. King Jesus, we just get a little glimpse of your goodness on this earth. We know one day we'll see you in full, but until then, you promise for all of us who have given our lives to you, who are surrendered our non-negotiables to you and invited your forgiveness and your cleansing, you promise to hold on to us. Lord, you promise that you are good to your world, that word, you hold everything together. Lord, help me to believe that for me personally. Help me to believe that for our broader world, for our, even our American church. Lord, in the midst of all the chaos, you came in and you created a cosmos. From the very beginning, you made order out of the chaos. Would you do that in my life? Would you use me, Lord, to spread a bit of your love? to point people to you and your goodness. Oh, Lord, we do pray for peace in our world. We pray for peace this week as our, our nation inaugurates a new president and vice president. We pray for your peace. We pray for truth to, to prevail, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving and for the many losses in their life that they see the hope that's in you, Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in you, King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.